0: So as you know, we're back in the Gospel of John this morning as we are uh, in the Upper Room Discourse. We are looking at Christ, looking at his heart, and right now where we are in the text, we are uh, the night before the crucifixion, the 11th. And he has communicated to them of his departure that the hour has come, the hour to which the Son will be glorified. A few weeks ago, or last week actually, we saw that the cross is the glory of God and that is how we are to look at the cross. But this message was difficult for The disciples to understand at that moment. His departure troubled their hearts. You see, Christ had been with them for the last three years, and the thought of him leaving troubled them. He was about to depart and go to the Father, and this terrifying reality was impacting them negatively. And this is why Jesus said to not let their hearts be troubled. You see, I'm going for a purpose, but I will return. I will come back. And you see, this was a promise of comfort to the disciples. But you see, that's not the only promise that he gave. He gave more and more all throughout this section. We see the promises given to the disciples and ultimately, given to us promises in which we can find great comfort. He wanted them to know before his departure, and he wants us to know. He wanted to prepare them, not for a life just after the crucifixion, but after the resurrection and the ascension. You see, these truths, these promises are applicable. To us today. It is to comfort God's people while we live life on earth, while we face the troubles of life. And so we will see more of these promises this morning. Three to be exact. But I do want to say the text that we come to is a challenging text in some ways. Uh, We discuss the doctrine of the Trinity, what a grand doctrine, but also there is mystery there that we cannot fully understand and comprehend because of the greatness of God. But though it is challenging, it is simple in the sense that the truths that we find here are comforting. And that is the intention of our Lord to understand these truths, to comfort his people, comfort his disciples, and comfort us as we live life on earth. And so my hope is that we would see and understand these promises and be encouraged. So let's begin by looking at our text this morning, John 14, Verses 15 through 24. John 14, 15 through 24. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas now Iscariot said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. In these verses, uh, there are three comforting promises that our Lord gives to his followers to comfort their troubled hearts. Three comforting promises. Again, these promises were to bring peace and comfort to the disciples at the upper room discourse, at the upper room, before his departure. And friends, let this reality, these promises, bring us comfort as well. It is a reminder to us that God is with us. He does save us, and he remains with us as we walk our Christian life. And we'll see that again and again throughout this text. Before we look at these promises, notice the statement Jesus makes in verse 15. He says, If you love me, you will keep my promise commandments. Now this truth is an important truth because he refers he makes the statement again and again three times in our verses verses 21, 23 and also 24. So this is central to the promises he is going to give us. These promises are for his people. Jesus plainly says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will obey me. There's no question that the disciples loved Christ. But the reality of Jesus leaving caused them anxiousness. They wanted to continue in their communion with their Lord. And the thought of his departure did not sit well with them. And so Jesus here was indicating to them that if you love me, you will obey what I teach you, you will trust in what I tell you. You may not like it at the moment but trust me and if you trust me you will show that you truly love me so he was redirecting their love they thought the fact that they were troubled with the fact that he was leaving that showed their love to Christ but Christ was saying trust me See, by keeping his word, it showed that they were truly his disciples and proved their love for him. See, believers will be identified as Jesus' disciples by the way they live their lives. By keeping his word, that marks a genuine believer in Christ. That shows that a Christian loves Jesus, because he wants to obey his word. And friends, this ought to characterize our life. Not perfectly, but a pattern of our lives. And for those who truly love and obey Christ, they are the recipients of the promises in our verses today, and really the promises we find in Scripture. So let's begin by considering the first promise. The promise of the Spirit's indwelling in the believer. The promise of the Spirit's indwelling in the believer in verses 15 through 17. Again, with the departure of Jesus drawing near, he wanted them to know that another helper was on his way. Jesus says in verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. Now, as we walk through these verses, you'll notice that it is very Trinitarian. You'll notice all three persons are involved here, involved in the life of the believer to help the believer to comfort the believer. We'll see that Jesus is the one who prays to the Father. The Father hears and answers by sending the Spirit to indwell the believer. And this should, again, bring comfort to us. You will hear that again and again. This is meant to comfort God's people. So Jesus says to them, For those who are my disciples, I will ask the Father, and he will send another helper. Notice that Jesus does not tell them to ask. Rather, he says, I will ask. I will pray to the Father on your behalf. And this will happen after the ascension, where Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He will ask the Father... In his intercessory role, Jesus will pray to the Father to send the Spirit, to send a helper. And as a result, God hears and answers. Notice, Jesus says, I will ask and the Father will hear. And the Father will give another helper to you. Jesus knows what's good for us. He is concerned for us. The Father knows what is good for us. And he is concerned for us. And he knows our need for this helper. And so the Father sends this helper. Jesus describes the Spirit as another helper, and that's important. You see, in the New Testament... There are two different Greek words often translated in the English as another. One, which means another of a different kind. Paul uses this word in Galatians 1, heteros, speaking of another gospel. A gospel that is entirely different from the one true gospel. It is different. It is another of a different kind. There's a second word in the Greek translated as another, which speaks of another of the same kind. And this is the word that Jesus utilizes here. That the Father will give another helper, another one of the same kind. One who is the same in essence And nature. The Spirit bears the likeness of both the Father and the Son. This is the doctrine of the Trinity. We find again and again that there is one God. Deuteronomy 6, Isaiah 44 6. There is one God. One God in essence, in nature, in being. But we also find in Scripture that this one true and living God exists eternally as three distinct persons. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, the Father will give you another helper who is exactly like me, in essence, in nature. Another who is co-equal with me, who possesses all the attributes that I possess." And this one will be coming to you after I leave. So don't be troubled. See, up until this point, Jesus was the disciples' helper. In many ways, he led them, guided them, comforted them. So you can imagine, with his departure, they're a little troubled. But Jesus is saying, another one like me is coming. Another one who will lead you, guide you, care for you. Now the word for helper here is the Greek word paraklete. I'm sure you're familiar with this word. It is found in the New Testament five times, all in John's writings, Four times in the Gospel of John, in reference to the Holy Spirit, and one time in First John, a reference to Christ, Christ who is our Advocate. And this word literally means uh, one who is called to come alongside to help. Here in our text, this word is translated as helper. In other translations. Uh, it is translated as comforter, advocate, counselor, a guide, teacher. And all of this describes the ministry of the Holy Spirit to his people. This helper, who is of the same essence as Christ, will come and guide and aid. The believer. You see, any need that we have, the Spirit aids us, provides for us. He meets our needs. And He is suited to meet all of our needs in this troubling world. When Christ leaves, the Helper will come to aid His disciples. And he is here with us for every believer to aid us in the church age. Friends, do you believe that? Do you know and believe that Christ has prayed for us and the Father has sent the Spirit? And we will see the Spirit indwells us and the Spirit is our helper. He is our comforter. So no matter what we face in this life, we're not alone. And we need to be reminded of this reality, that God has not left us alone. He has provided another helper like our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus continues. He says that the helper may be with you forever. The Spirit will be with you into eternity. Literally, into eternity. Not just in this life, but beyond, forever. With the sending of the Spirit, there will never be a period where you are without Him. The Spirit will be with you forever, never to depart. The point is, You will never be alone, ever. No matter what you're facing, you're not alone. We often forget that reality. But we need to dwell on this reality. Through the valleys of life that we face, through the darkest of times, this helper is with the believer. And if you're in Christ, he is with you. And we'll see because he is in you. Now, after introducing the Holy Spirit initially as another helper, Jesus provides further details regarding who this helper is. He says that the Spirit, in verse 17, he describes him as the Spirit of truth. This phrase is repeated again in, in chapter 15, verse 26. In John 16, verse 13, again in reference to the Spirit. Like Jesus, this Helper is the Spirit of truth. We saw last time that Jesus said He is the way, the truth, and the life. So because the Spirit is one with Christ, He shares the same nature, He too is the Spirit of truth. And the construction here, uh, the Spirit of truth, means the Spirit who communicates or or reveals truth. That is, he is the source of all truth. He is the revealer of truth. He leads Christ's people to the truth. This means that the Spirit will not lead or guide anyone astray. He will never lead anyone anyone contrary to what he has revealed in his word. Sadly, we see in in the Christian culture at large, many people claim that the Spirit has spoken to them. The the Spirit is leading them in, in such a way, often contrary to what we find in the pages of Scripture. I remember growing up, young in my faith, many who claimed that they were called by God because the Spirit spoke to them. Neglecting 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, where we find objective truth revealed by the Spirit about the qualification of pastor and elder. So you can be sure that those people were not receiving revelation from God because they were neglecting the revealed word of God, which the Spirit will not do. Here we see that the Spirit is truth, and he who has inspired Scripture will not contradict it. Now for the disciples, there was an immediate application to this reality. They would be entrusted to record the New Testament for us, as we'll see in John 16. The Spirit would bring to the apostles' mind all that Jesus had taught. And he would lead them to to record those realities. And we have the product of that in the Word of God, both the old and the new. So there was an immediate application there. But for us, God is not giving us new revelation to record. Rather, He has given us His revelation and He uses that through the work of the Spirit to save us, to reveal our sin and lead us to repentance and faith. The Spirit uses His Word to illumine us, to give us understanding of His Word, to grow in Understanding to have a greater affection for him, for his word, for our Lord. You see, the Spirit works in this way. He is the Spirit of truth, and he leads his people to know the truth of God's word. I don't know about you, but I find, I find comfort in that reality. That God, God the Spirit, is is helping me to grow in my understanding of his word. To apply his word. The teacher is with us. And in the way that Jesus was his disciples, instructing them, we have the helper to, to grow in our understanding of the word, to illumine us. To, to conform us to, image, to the image of our Lord. Furthermore, <clears throat> Jesus points out that the Spirit is not for the world, but only for Christ's people. Look at verse 17. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him, Because he abides with you and will be in you. The Spirit sent by the Father is not given to the world. Because they cannot receive him. Why? Because the world does not see him or know him. You see, being dead in our sins prevents us from from seeking after God from pursuing God. And the world, who is dead in their sins, because they're dead, they do not want to receive God, the Spirit, for they cannot. And we understand this because this is exactly how the world responded to Christ when he was on earth. When he was there again and again, he spoke to them the truth, He said he was from God, and the word which I speak were from God. The words which I I speak were from the Father. But they didn't receive that. They rejected Christ's word. He also provides so much evidence through his work. Sign after sign, giving validity to who he was proving that he was, in fact, sent from God. Yet they rejected him. John 1:10, it says, He was in the world, that is, Christ, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. So if they did not receive the Son, that is, the world, if they did not receive the world, it's no surprise to us that they cannot receive the Spirit, the helper that the Father sends. However, in contrast to the world, Jesus adds, but you know him. Unlike the world, you, my disciples, my followers, know the helper. Why? He says, because he abides with you and will be in you. You see, the disciples knew him because of the life and ministry of our Lord. We see all throughout the gospel the, the, the presence of the Spirit in the life of Christ, in his incarnation, in his birth, in his baptism, in his ministry. He was, in, he was empowered by the Spirit. Luke fourteen four, there <clears throat> Luke writes, and Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So the disciples saw this and knew this because the Spirit was abiding with them as they witnessed His work in the life and ministry of Christ. Now they also knew Him through the Spirit's work in their life. Not only through Christ's life, but through the ministry and work of the Spirit in their life. You see, the Spirit is the one who regenerates both in the old and the new. And we know that the disciples were followers of Christ. And they loved Christ. And that can only happen through the work of the Spirit in regenerating the disciples. The Spirit, I mean, the the disciples also knew the Spirit because of the empowering work of the Spirit in the lives of the saints in the Old Testament. Though the Spirit did not indwell the saints for forever, they saw the work of the Spirit for particular ministries. And so they know that the Spirit was working in the saints. And so the Spirit was with them at that point and the, and the disciples were aware of that, and they understood that. But Jesus also adds here that the Spirit will be in you. When I depart, he would come, and he will indwell you. And he will never leave you, and he will always be present in you forever. Now, this happened at Pentecost, from that moment on, after Jesus ascended to heaven, the Spirit was sent, and he in, began to indwell the disciples as well as every single believer after that. At the moment of your conversion, the Spirit came and indwelt you. And this is part of the new covenant. Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-seven. there it says, Moreover, I, God, will give you a new heart, and put a new spirit within you. And this became normative for all believers after Pentecost. You see, this is evidence of the fact that we belong to him. So Jesus was saying, the spirit has been with you, and you know him, and soon he will be in you. He will be your helper. Again, this was intended to bring them comfort. And it's also intended to bring us comfort. To know that the Spirit is with us, he is in us. No matter what we face, perhaps you may be facing something now that is difficult. And you may be thinking that I'm alone. But Jesus is saying, you're not alone. You have the helper, the comforter, the counselor in you. You have all that you need, Christian, to face the trials that you're facing. Now, having considered the promise of the indwelling Spirit, we come to a second promise, and that is the promise of Christ's union with the believer. The promise of Christ's union with the believer in verses 18 through 21. As Jesus continues, we find more and more promises. It is not just that the Spirit will come and indwell you, but Jesus says, I will come as well. I will be closer to you through the work and ministry of the Spirit. So Jesus is telling the disciple, have comfort in this. Do not be troubled. It is to your advantage that I leave. And we'll see that in later verses. Look at verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while... The world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. Jesus promised his disciples that he would not leave them as orphans. That he would come to them. With the news of his departure, they probably thought that they were being left as orphans. Without any help, without any guide, without any assistance, they were on their own, as many orphans feel and think. But Jesus wanted to make it clear to them I would not leave you. You will not be abandoned, you will not be forsaken. Because after my death, I will come to you. Both temporarily, and we see that in the resurrection, and permanently permanently through the indwelling of the Spirit. Now, this reference to I will come to you, I do think this is a reference to the resurrection. This was a promise that he would raised from the dead after at death after being crucified that his death would not be the end they will they would see him again and this was likely as i mentioned a reference to the resurrection because in verse 19 jesus says after a little while after a little while the world will no longer see me but you will see me and because i live Because I have been resurrected, you will live also. We saw this in Acts, or at the end of Gospels, that Christ indeed did rise from the dead. There were multiple post-resurrection appearances where the disciples saw the resurrected Christ. And he appeared to other believers as well. He appeared to the disciples multiple times, strengthening their faith. He appeared to the women at the tomb. He appeared to the few disciples on the road to Emmaus. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, he appeared to 500 people at once. So the believers saw him, the disciples saw him shortly after this night. But he makes clear that the world did not see him. The world saw that he was beaten the world saw that he was crucified. They even saw that he was buried. But that was it. They did not see the resurrected Christ. There's no record of his manifestation to the unbelieving world. He came to his own. And then it says, because he lives, you also live will live. You will be made spiritually alive. And you will be given eternal life. The resurrection will be a validation of that reality. Now what we see in verse 19, as I've mentioned, was talking about Christ's resurrection. And now this was a temporary ministry of Christ He was with them for about 40 days, and he ascended to heaven. But what follows in verse 20 seems to go beyond that temporary ministry. Because in verse 20, Jesus speaks of his nearness and abiding presence with the believer through the Spirit in the church age. And because God is one, one in essence and being, Thus, when the Spirit comes to indwell us, we also have the presence of Christ. Thus, through the Spirit, the believer is near to Christ, is close to Christ. And this is what we see in verse 20. Whereas in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. When Jesus was instructing them concerning these promises, He was with them physically. He was present. He was beside them. But after the resurrection and after the coming of the Spirit, they would have a closer, more intimate relationship with the Son through the Spirit. They would be in union with Christ. They would be in Christ. That is the work of the Spirit. Jesus says, in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. In that day is a reference to uh, the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost, where he indwells all believers, where he illumines them, gives us a greater understanding to his word, his revealed word. And the Spirit will help the disciples to understand the oneness of the Father and the Son. You remember earlier in chapter 14, they were struggling to understand this. But with the coming of the Spirit, they would know and understand that the Father and the Son are one. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father That is what Jesus told the disciples. And when the Spirit comes and gives them illumination and understanding, they will see that and understand that. And not only would they understand that, the oneness of the Father and the Son, but through the work of the Spirit, they will see and experience a close intimacy with Christ. Jesus says, you in me and I in you. What? A reality. With the coming of the Spirit, Jesus is saying, He would be closer to them. He would be in close union with them. And this union would happen through the indwelling presence of the Spirit. Again, friends, let this comfort us. Not only do we have the presence of the Spirit in our hearts, but through the Spirit, we experience close intimacy and experience the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are in union with Christ. We are in Christ. And you see, the one who knows this and understands this, the one who is comforted by this, are the ones who keep my commandments. That's what Jesus says in John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Jesus reaffirms what he said in verse 15. It was a reminder to them that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will Trust me in what I'm teaching you. But here he also adds, the one who truly loves me, evidenced by obedience, will be loved by my Father, and Christ would further disclose himself to the believer. Both the Father and Christ will love the believer. But he also says, that Christ would reveal more of himself to us. I will make myself known to you. Friends, the application is clear here. If we want to understand God's love in a deeper way, if we want to know Christ in a deeper way, have an intimate relationship with him in a deeper way, then he's saying obey my commands. Obey my words any distance that exists, it is not because of Christ. It is because of our disobedience to his word. And as Christians, I hope that your desire is to love God more and more deeply, to know God more and more. Friends, that is eternal life. Jesus says that in John 17, 3, to know God, to know Christ. And the way we do that is through obedience. And thankfully, we have been given the Spirit to aid us in that pursuit. Let that comfort you. Dwell on these realities. Now this brings us to a third and final promise, and that is the promise of the Father's abode in the believer. The promise of the Father's abode in the believer, in verses 22 and 20 through 24, with the indwelling presence of the Spirit in our lives, not only is Christ in us, but we also have the presence of the Father. <clears throat> Look at verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, "Lord." What then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not the world? Judas, it's not as scary as John tells us, raised a question to what Jesus said in John uh, in verse 21. Jesus said, "I will disclose myself to those who love me." And so Judas hears that, and he responds, "Look, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself? to us only, I added that, only, and not to the world. This shows that Judas, at this point, did not understand fully the teaching of Christ. And we know that the other disciples were the same because in Acts 1, after the resurrection, the disciples come together and ask our Lord, Lord, is it, at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel. And they were still under the impression that Jesus would return physically and set up his kingdom on earth soon. Likely thinking about his second coming. And so here, Judas did not understand Judas did not understand how they would observe him but not the world. And so Jesus responded in verse 23, and here he's speaking of spiritual matters and not physical one pertaining to the church age. He says in verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Does that sound familiar? This is like three times. You can imagine that that is very, very important. If you love me, you will keep my word. And then he adds here, My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Jesus is saying that both the Father and the Son will be indwelling the believer, and that will happen through the indwelling presence of the Spirit. In other words, those who love me and obey Christ's word, God will move in their life in such a way, in extreme ways, where his presence will be more and more evident. On the other hand, for those who do not obey, look at verse 24. He who does not love me does not keep my word. You see, such a person proves that the Trinity does not dwell in that person. And he adds, the word which you hear are not mine, but the Father's who sent me. You see, the authority behind all that I say is not me. It is from the Father. And if you reject what I'm saying, you're rejecting the Father. And this is what the world does. You know, this is a way for us really to examine our hearts to see if we are in the faith. Is there a pattern of obedience in our lives? Because if there is, that will show that we love God, that we love Christ. And that will prove the presence of God in our hearts, in our lives. The presence of The Father, the presence of the Son, the presence of the Spirit. Now, if you examine your life and there's no evidence of that, and my plea to you is to turn from your ways and turn to Christ, turn to Him humbly. And we find a great promise that he will receive anyone who comes to him on his terms. And the Father will come and dwell him. The Son will come dwell that person, indwell that person, and the Spirit will. See, at that moment, you will experience an intimate relationship with your Creator. Which is something you, if you're not in Christ, you do not have at this moment. And so my hope for you, if you're not in Christ, to turn to him, to be made right with God through Christ and experience the full presence of God in your life, to experience the promises that we've seen in our text. For the believer, I <clears throat> as, it, as it was for the disciples, I hope that you would think on this reality. It it is deep. It is profound. We cannot fully comprehend it because God is that great. But we should dwell on the reality of the presence of God in our lives. And we should be moved to Seek to obey him. To know his word. Because that is eternal life. Eternal life is to know God. The way we know God is through his word, through the obedience of his word, by the work of the Spirit in our lives. And hopefully... I, I found comfort in this text, and hopefully you too, as you pursue him. And it, it needs to be an encouragement to us as we live life on earth. We live in a, in a fallen world. And there are seasons where it's difficult, it's hard. And this is a reminder to us that God is with us. And he will give us the strength that we need. We're not alone. And so I hope that you will think deeply about this and find comfort in that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder of your presence with us. Thank you for the indwelling presence of the Spirit. Lord, help us to find comfort in this reality as we face life, as we face difficulties, troubles. It is in those moments that we need to be reminded of the fact that you are with us. Lord, help us to praise you for this reality, for these promises.